0: You're listening to the Game Street of podcast recorded on June the 1st, 2023. I am James Batchelor, and joining me this week are Geoffrey Russo.
1: And Brendan Sinclair.
0: For those who have been enjoying our uh, microcasts, the new short-form form of podcast, short-form form? form? <laughs> the short-format podcasts that we've been experimenting with. Thank you very much for your feedback. Really appreciate it. We will continue experimenting with those, but as we said in the very first one, we do still want to give these kind of more in-depth, full-length episodes where we get to dig a bit deeper into some of the big topics from around the industry. Two topics we want to talk about today. Going to start with the first one is uh, cloud gaming. Now, this is kind of jumping off a feature I ran on the site. Cloud gaming has become the sticking point for the Microsoft Activision uh, acquisition, as if we aren't already all sick of hearing about that. But uh, it, it raised an interesting point, I thought, because the the deal is blocked because the CMA, the UK regulator, believes that cloud gaming is significant enough a market that any any impact on competition there is warrants blocking Microsoft from buying Activision Blizzard. I personally think this is based on a lot of assumptions, and one of those assumptions is that cloud gaming becomes as big as cloud streaming in music, video, TV, film on demand. You know, like all the all the other forms of entertainment that we now just stream stuff. for. I ran a piece on the uh, on the site getting analysts' thoughts on this. On whether or not that market is going to become big enough is going to become a dominant form uh, or at least a dominant a- avenue through which people consume video games and whether or not Microsoft is in a position that it would dominate that space to the detriment of other competitors and um, you can read that full thing on the site there'll be a link in the show notes and a link in the article if you're uh, streaming this on the actual website but I really want to kind of dig in, dig in and get the uh, the team's thoughts because I I have my thoughts on this like I'm I can't recall discussing whether or not we think cloud gaming and particularly now kind of a, in a post-stadia world whether or not cloud gaming will be as disruptive and as big as it has been for other forms of entertainment and whether or not if it is big enough to warrant blocking the biggest deal in the industry's history gentlemen your thoughts
1: I don't think cloud gaming is uh, the future. I, I, I in a lot of ways I, I think cloud gaming um it's not really ahead of its time so much as maybe behind its time. Um because I, I, I think when there was a moment where having something like cloud gaming would have been absolutely fantastic. Uh and and I feel like that moment was during the arcade era. Because that was when the hardware that you had at home and could afford was uh, vastly outpowered by the hardware that you know people could put into an arcade game. You know the five thousand dollars or whatever that they would charge for an arcade game. Vastly better experiences possible with those for people than than what you could squeeze onto an NES or something, and being able to take. You know, cheap, weak hardware, get it out into people's hands, and then feed them the kind of experience with, you know, capable with more power at that time, I think, would have been a much more compelling proposition. These days, they're, they're still, there's still a gap between, you know, what a $10,000 PC setup is going to get you compared to like a bargain basement one. Uh, but I don't think the gap is that large um, or, or that well appreciated for the majority of people. So that's that's one thing right there. Like I don't I don't think that, you know, hey, I can access greater power um, is is a, a big selling point for the cloud just because, you know, we've had the, the new generation of consoles now for, for several years, and they're not as powerful as the most powerful PC can can get you. And developers still haven't really created all that much that even requires the new generation of consoles. We still have past-gen versions of, you know, games like Elden Ring and, and most of the big games in the last few years, and they might not be quite as impressive but they're they're good enough you know it's it's not like a past gen version you know of an xbox to an xbox 360 game or a 360 game to an xbox one game where there was kind of like a uh, there tended to be a bigger gap in the quality level and sorry i'm just getting hung up on the fact that there were no xbox to xbox 360 cross-gen games that i know of because they discontinued the xbox months before the 360 came out <laughs> but we've gone too far uh
2: what, what i was going to add was that i
1: remember a,
2: a, a story that i wrote um last year where released released report that said that crowd gaming in um, 2022 we hit 2.4 billion uh you know in revenue and then they forecasted that uh, by the year of 2025, it would hit um, 8.2 billion. Now, we recently have a report where New Zoo reported that for the year of 2022, like total video game revenue like, in total hit um was it 183 billion. Right. So the reason why I bring those numbers up is that, to Brendan's point, when you think about the proliferation of cloud gaming, it's still really small, you know, if you're if you're to think about it from a business uh segment, you know, it that that's I don't even think that's ten percent. I'm not good at math, but you know, I don't even think that's ten percent of the total market uh value. But to further the the point that's being made, I think it's very much a question of maybe i i am I'm, I'm not sure because the thing with um cloud streaming services for example, movies and music those are just so ubiquitous now like you you can't go anywhere without seeing someone do that you know they're, they're what make up phone plans they're what make up you know you you, you name it right uh, with gaming i considering the resources available and you know if you have a decent phone that will either hey. <laughs> Uh, run hot <laughs> or crash <laughs> depending upon what you're playing um you know it, it, it's a question of you know i'm I'm not too sure are we are we scared about a a possible future that may not come to pass you know and also I think about how readily available would that be to everyone everyone can stream music right now everyone can um you know open their app and open the uh or open the um ill-named now Max app, I'm sorry <laughs> HBO Max was a better name, but anyway, and you know you can watch movies or films, but with gaming, you know it i I, I really try to recall the times I've been out somewhere, and I live in a metropolitan city, as you can imagine, so it's I, I really try to think of the last time I'm sure I've seen people play games, but I think about whether or not it may be cloud gaming, I don't know. It, it, it's just one of those things. I don't know. It's hard for me to, to see that. Yeah, maybe in five years, maybe in six. I have no idea.
1: Yeah, the, the kind of experiences that, you know, gaming games are, uh, I, I don't think are as conducive to, to cloud streaming um, as, as things like, you know, music and, and TV shows, movies, linear media um, like that. Like with, with gaming you get a game and you play it for hours and hours, right? Uh, So if you take the time to download that game, you are probably going to enjoy it for however long, you know, an undetermined uh, number of hours. I know like Zelda Tears of the Kingdom just came out and a whole bunch of us are probably well on our way toward the 100 hour mark on that or beyond it. so like the investment to download a game is pretty small compared to the amount of time that you can actually enjoy the game from. And that's important because downloading the game means no, you know, no quality issues, no no hit to the the user experience there of, of the game. Whereas if you're streaming it, um I I think streaming services have, have gotten Pretty, pretty good and I've been impressed by you know the the responsiveness of uh, like the xCloud streaming service what what little I've used of it it's, it seems like okay well that's you know that's, that's most of the way there but it's not it's not all the way there and the advantage of you know having instant access to that through streaming is not that big compared like you know, to, to knowing that if I just plan ahead an hour or two or whatever to download the game uh, before I want to start playing it, like, I can have a perfect experience otherwise, you know, like, with with streaming music and, and movies and stuff, you get a, a basically equivalent perfect experience regardless outside of maybe, what, three seconds when you just start streaming uh, YouTube and it's it's uh, artifacted or whatever. Um so so it's it's the the quality of the experience is not um, is not the same. There's a, there's a trade off there. The the medium games uh, is is not quite as uh, well suited to it. You know, like with 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 Spotify or something. Obviously, jumping from song to song to song, whatever you feel like, or just mixing up a playlist. That, that works pretty well and and it's nice to have a functionally unlimited library of songs to choose from instead of like can i fit my entire collection of mp3s on my phone if people even have collections of mp3s anymore um and and with with tv you know it's like if i if i want to binge watch star trek like on netflix that's great and easy and i just push play and it keeps going uh if if i wanted to download that though that would be kind of a hassle to like download each each episode as i watch it or to download a ton of episodes at hd and you know save them on my phone or or wherever i'm gonna watch it and eat up storage space like that but with games it's i don't think unless the storage space is is like a huge issue for people and for, you know, Warzone players, I'm, I'm sure the obscene amount of uh, uh, gigs that a new Call of Duty stuff, a new Call of Duty game requires is, is, is an issue. But, like, I, I just don't see the advantage there. I don't see the compelling thing. Now, now the compelling thing of that what we're seeing with cloud gaming um, that I think is, is part of the issue here is that it, cloud gaming is being just kind of lumped in with subscription services. And I think subscription services could be huge for games. You know, you, you look at Game Pass and, and for, what, five, six years now, people have been really excited about Game Pass. They, they You know, here's a place where you can get big new games and you've already paid your subscription fee and it's, it's you know, you can try new things. And, and it's, it's working out really well, I think, for Microsoft to start with. And I could see... A future where subscription services absolutely take over and people decide that it's better to you know get their premium games through whatever kind of curation Microsoft or whoever wants to do with their subscription service instead of um, you know paying a la carte to buy one premium game the way they do now Um, but this and this deal might actually, you know, have significant ramifications for that. But, like, I, I wrote an editorial about this uh, a few months back. And, and like, I, I think Sony could compete in the subscription service game right now, partly because they have such a, you know, blockbuster lineup of of first-party titles. I, I think Nintendo could, could do the same because they each offer... Um, like really key compelling franchises and they have a fan base that will want those so i think they could compete with microsoft just fine in a subscription service world but the reason they don't is because they are winning in the current world the status quo suits them just fine so they don't really want to like upend the market and possibly risk the good thing they have going right now in order to switch everyone to a subscription-based world where microsoft already has uh, a leg up on them. So that that that's I don't I don't really like think it's a good thing if the acquisition goes through for for the games industry, but at the same time I don't I don't see cloud gaming concerns that have been expressed by regulators as a reason to stop the acquisition from going through. If that makes sense.
0: I'm going to try not to take us too far down the subscription rabbit hole because that's a whole... There's a slightly separate rabbit hole. But, um, yeah, I kind of agree. Like, subscriptions stands more of a chance as a business model to change the way the industry is. I'm back and forth on whether or not I think that's a good thing. Um, I think video games are consumed in a different way than music and, and TV. You, know, you, you were talking there about, um, you know, binging on, on Star Trek... Um, and you know, I th- I almost want to interject and point out yeah, that you as awkward as it would be to download it. know yeah, imagine having to change the disc every four episodes. You know, bro, go go proper old school. Um, like people binge through series, they binge through films and and albums and so forth. But with games, people play fewer of them than they do, you know, films, TV, albums, etc. So I I still don't, I still don't think the subscription model applies to games in quite the same way it does to film, music and TV. And even books. Like people binge read books on Kindle Unlimited. They'll just get through as many books as they can. Um but like so bringing this back to cloud though, like I I think at this point I should probably interject with a couple of things that the analysts said. So one of them is um one of the analysts pointed out that there are only it's easy to describe cloud gaming as if it is a single market. And there are at least four Forms of cloud gaming. So you have cloud gaming where streaming your games is an additional feature to an established service, which is what you've already got on Xbox Game Pass with X Cloud Gaming, and then um, PlayStation Plus has got the PlayStation Three game streaming or the what used to be Gaikai that streaming. So it's a feature on an established service. You've got cloud gaming services where it's an alternative way to access games that you own on another platform. So if you've bought a game on Steam and then you want to play it on cloud, you use GeForce Now. That's a separate form of cloud gaming. There's a cloud gaming business, which is uh, companies that sell streaming solutions to business customers so that companies can then offer their own streamed version of their own games. I have a vague memory of Warner brothers doing this with one of the Batman Arkham games, like they they enabled you to stream it from a website. So you could play, I think it was Arkham Knight, you could stream Arkham Knight from a website. And that was them, that was separate from any other cloud gaming service. And then there's the cloud gaming as a platform, which is your Stadia, your Amazon, that sort of thing. So already the conversation about cloud gaming is difficult because when we use the umbrella term cloud gaming, we're referring to lots of different uses of this technology. I think that the issue is, and this kind of goes back to your point about subscriptions, is the thing that's the barrier towards cloud gaming taking off. Yeah, it's partly the technology, and I agree, like, you know, the, the quality level you get is not as ideal with cloud gaming as it is when you download. That is just, that's just a natural thing of not having the game specifically on your hard drive. But the technology is quite impressive. As you said earlier, like, you know, it, it's advanced so well. Stadia, one of the analysts we spoke to, like said, like... Stadia's, the complaints about Stadia were never about the technology. They were never about the the ability to stream. They were primarily about the business model, i.e. you have to pay 60 quid full price for a game that you don't tangibly own, you just have access to, um, which just flies in the face of how other streaming services work and how other and again, that comes back to subscription have dominated and disrupted all the other forms of entertainment. Therefore, the expectation is that they'll do it for games. I apologise if I've said this before, but I'll give my, my my Stadia experience again. I played the first four or five hours of Red Dead Redemption 2 on Stadia, and it was really impressive. There was no artifacting, There was very little lag. It was really impressive. Until I accidentally stole someone's horse, and it was an accident because they're context-sensitive buttons—they're trying to do too many things with too many buttons. Uh, sorry, too many things with too few buttons. When I accident, sure.
1: go ahead and blame the developers.
0: I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I, when I accidentally stole someone's horse, no, genuinely, I, I was driving, I was galloping along in Red Dead Redemption, and I tried to press the button where you, you say hello to the other person riding along next to you. And apparently because I pressed the wrong button, I instead jumped across, kicked him off his horse and ran away. <laughs> as you do.
1: Who hasn't done that? Who hasn't done, who that?
0: Hasn't <laughs> done that? Really? Most <laughs> one of those little faux pas of everyday life. Exactly. But the moment I went off script, as it were, the whole thing kind of like ground to a halt, frame rate-wise. Because I had... During the tutorial section where you're doing exactly what the game expects you to do it's fine as soon as you branch away from that which let's be honest is, is what the vast majority video games a vast amount of video games are built around is players having the freedom to take
1: their own actions that's when it struggled so seriously yeah yeah like stadia is actually doing some was doing some kind of like predictive here's what what they should be doing next. I swear I swear case. I read that
0: I read that there was like an element of prediction. Obviously not predicting too much, but like, you know, if you're if you're doing a, a tutorial and everyone does the tutorial in the exact same way and it's all very kind of slow, it's all very kind of weird, we're walking through the snow to this point and there's there's less going on, that's easier to stream than, oh, James has now stolen a horse and everyone's reacting to it. Quick, what happens next? Nobody knows. Um my point is my my point is um its business model that is the confusing thing about cloud gaming and how it will take off um we saw that with stadia it's working so far for xbox cloud gaming but it's very much a value add thing rather than a platform on its own um amazon luna is a platform on its own but again that's a weird one where you subscribe to amazon luna but then you can also subscribe to other subscriptions like ubisoft plus and get access to their games through that platform. I think there's there's so many barriers to overcome, there's so many complexities to work out. Yeah, I can't see cloud gaming taking off as much as people expect. And to go back to Jeffrey's point about how small it is, like, you know, I'm going to throw another number in. Uh, apparently, like, Omdia Research said that uh, by 2026, it's going to be. 12 billion cloud gaming revenues are going to be 12 billion dollars by 2026 according to omdia's estimates and even then that would be six percent of total video game spending in 2026 so i think we are a long long way from it becoming this major market that warrants that level of paranoia from the regulators now chris our, our head of b2b head of Games really, who and I lose track of what his job title is. But Chris String, has <laughs> been saying that you know a large part of the regulated thing will be that they've been caught out with previous deals where it's looked like it's not going to cause an issue. It's you know market's been too small or too divided that you know one company taking over another won't cause much of an issue and then they've approved the deal and then it has and maybe they're being overly cautious here but I still think like even at this trajectory and you think like cloud people have been trying to get cloud gaming off the ground since at least 2008 when we had like OnLive and Gaikai like it's still not there you know almost two decades on it's still not there I can't see it becoming the dominant force that people think
1: I think there's also an issue with the, like, price of, of cloud gaming. Mm. Um, not not just the, you know, the, the, the cost of, of, you know, having a, a computer run somewhere else and then all the, you know, bandwidth required for the actual streaming, which are non-significant or not insignificant. Um, but the actual hardware, I, I, I think. Like, Microsoft had a cloud streaming version of the uh, xbox uh in development right it was just going to be like a dongle you plug in and then you have your your control pad and and you're good to go and if they could get you know like that next gen experience cloud only but next gen quality experience for under a hundred dollars um, then you know that that might do something but uh phil spencer said that they had to shelve the project because they just couldn't get the price down to a you know, like a mass market enough uh, level where it was really gonna uh, make a difference for people. And I, I see the same thing with these like remote streaming, um, you know, remote play solutions like like Sony's uh, Project Q or, or um, the Logitech G Cloud, which I am on the record as being quite a big fan of. But that thing's like, you know, $300, $350 uh, and and that's that's just when by the time you get like you know here's here's the the innards that we need for for cloud streaming here's a high quality controller because just a standard pad for something is is already you know creeping up 60 70 dollars these days um, and then you throw like here's a nice quality screen on those and then here we need to make our our profit margin on it like the the cost of these things really gets out of hand quicker than than you would like. So the the oh my gosh cloud streaming is such a great cost effective way to get it to more people that argument kind of works for the cell phones and the tablets they already have but that is not the the ideal um play situation for most people because mobile And tablet games are already being developed with sort of a lower uh lower spec hardware in mind because so many of them are free to play and they want to have the largest possible audience so they try and make it work on potato phones and such wherever they can uh and and if you want if you want a good experience that's not a mobile game on a mobile platform then you need like what, like the Razer Kishi controller or a, a Bluetooth pad that you sit there, maybe a clamp that goes onto your phone, connects the pad. And all of those are really like awkward workarounds that, that I'm, they're plenty good for a lot of people, but they're not, that's not what the, these things are really made for. And, and it shows in the user experience, I think. So like, I also think there's a mismatch, um, between like that, that, the experience that actually works and what people would want from cloud gaming, and the experience that it can deliver cheaply. Um, so I, I I just see I see a lot of problems for cloud gaming that are not related to the technology, oddly enough. And and even with the technology, like I I I still wonder if something like Rock Band could could ever work in in cloud gaming just because the you know, any any sort of lag or delay in in that not being absolutely perfect kind of ruins a game like that. So, but tech concerns, let's say, put them all aside. I still I still see a lot of problems with the kind of the, the business concerns and the logistics of it.
0: And that's the thing as well, like you, you know, going back to what you said about um, the Xbox one, they couldn't bring it down enough to make it a mass market property. Like this whole discussion is about cloud gaming becoming a mass market appeal Product or a mass-matic appeal proposition. And the problem with that is, I'm still not 100% convinced that the mass market wants the sort of games that cloud gaming enables. Cloud gaming, part of the joy of cloud gaming is that it enables you to play things like Red Dead Redemption 2 or like the proper full-blown AAA high-end premium games without the need for dedicated hardware or at least the need for expensive dedicated hardware like a playstation 5 or an xbox series x and i get the logic of that like not everyone who can pay you know not everyone can pay 500 plus for a console and warrant you know and, and use it enough to warrant doing so but still may be intrigued by these games the problem is i think that that core gaming space that that is big enough at this point you know these consoles, even with supply issues, are still sending their tens of millions. Like It's not like these games are, these devices are niche. It's not like video games are niche anymore. Like, they are still sending millions, tens of millions to people. So, the audience that wants them is getting them. And the mass market audience who might be looking for a new games experience is playing on their smart device. Smart device. They're playing on their phone, they're playing on their tablet. And that audience isn't necessarily sitting there thinking oh you know i've had enough of this idle clicker and this uh you know this this candy crush this match three game this merge game i've had enough of this i really fancy horizon forbidden west like no one's thinking that or at least i i I can't imagine a sizable enough audience are thinking that so yes as much as cloud gaming lowers the barriers to entry once you eat you know, assuming you could get the the cost of the hardware down to make it a mass market appealing type, you know a, a device like even if you can get that that down like i'm not convinced there's a sizable enough demographic that wants these sort of games that isn't already buying dedicated hardware
1: it's a shame because the tech is cool
0: it is the tech is cool and, and you know, going back to what we were saying earlier about like you know, the need to download i think Stupidly, I think cloud gaming works brilliantly for trying games. Like, I've actually used it on um Xbox Cloud, you know, the Xbox Game Pass, their, their cloud streaming feature. I've used it to try EA Play games that I never got around to, or um, you know, games that I never finished. I thought, oh, I wonder if it's still got my save, I'll see what we're up to. I downloaded like, um Need for Speed. Uh, Hot Pursuit I think it was or maybe Need for Speed Rivals I "I really fancy Need for Speed played it for about half an hour I was like no I don't fancy Need for Speed that saved me a long time downloading downloaded um, Dragon Age Inquisition I wonder if it's still got my save I wonder if I want to go back to this 10 minutes later no I don't want to go back to this I stopped playing it for a reason cloud gaming saves you a lot of time and energy in that regard
1: but then just give us demos like bring back Mm. demos let us try games that way I like that the time and energy that it saved you, it's like, that should be a good feeling, right? But it sounds like all you got out of those was disappointment. Yeah, (laughs) but no, but but less. Thank you, Cloud Gaming. You have really helped (laughs) me out and made me very disappointed and sad. But it's less. These games are not what I want. Less disappointed. I'd have been more. I'd have been
0: disappointed and infuriated if it had taken me hours to download Dragon Age Inquisition only for me to then spend 10 minutes going, no, I remember now, this sucks. (laughs) apologies to Bioware I'm sure people love that game I'm just not one of them I'm sorry the other topic I wanted to discuss today was the upcoming sort of but not E3 but it's not E3 period of games showcases no one knows what to call it um Jeff Keighley will insist on calling it Summer Games Fest but that is his uh, event at the start of it the point is there's a bunch of showcases coming up within the space of a week which would have been E3 normally but E3 is not happening for full details and full thoughts see previous episode of the podcast uh and we instead face a sort of the sort of string of showcases um and I was intrigued to get our expectations for this so First of
1: all, for, I I think we need to do a bit of a disclosure here. Yes, um, our, we do. Our parent company, Reed Pop, was uh, they they had secured the the deal to run E three this year, and uh, our our own Chris String was part of the sort of uh, planning committee there, uh, trying to bring it together. And things did not come together, and we had to um, cancel the show. So, just you can keep that in mind. We're not, we're not bitter. No, we're not gonna, we're not gonna just, you know, take a dump on everything here because we're, we're really salty about it. Um, I mean, I, I you know, I'm
0: not, I'm not planning to take a dump on anything. I'm always intre- I am genuinely always interested and excited for the string of showcases that happens in June. I'm just bitter that there isn't mm. a nice, neat umbrella term we can use anymore. That's the main, yeah. that's my main <laughs> issue
1: there is that and and i was actually surprised when i looked through the uh you know the events and the the people showing games there where i was like oh no wait actually there's there's a fair amount there that i'm interested in sorry
0: please continue i shall so um just a quick run through the schedule so we have a uh, summer games fest kickoff live on june 8th this is jeff Keeley's hosted a uh, presentation usually a good range of games usually quite a few uh nice. star appearances from some of the people he knows in the industry this is followed almost immediately by Day of the Devs, um, the Double Fine and IM8-bit indie games showcase, uh, and then immediately after that, wow June 8th is going to be busy, uh, Devolver return for their usual very nonsensical thing where you can't always tell what is a game and what isn't just taking the mick out of the industry, but usually some really interesting titles comes out of that. Uh, there is the following day, June 9th, there's the Tribeca Games Spotlight. I'll be honest, I'm not 100% sure to uh, expect from that. June 10th is the Wholesome Direct, which is usually dozens upon dozens of indie games that is brilliant because it just gives me a massive list of titles to add for my non-violent Game of the Day blog. Uh, June 11th is the Xbox Game Showcase. Uh, no longer Xbox and Bethesda Showcase. It's now just Xbox Game Showcase. This is Xbox's you know, big yearly shindig of here's all the games coming up. Immediately followed by a Starfield Direct, which dives deeper into the only massive game they've got coming this year. As far as we're aware, we are recording pre-showcase. Uh, June 12th follows that is Ubisoft Forward, um, which is their usual showcase. Uh, so I expect... A lot of Assassin's Creed Mirage, possibly some skull and bones, just to amuse Brendan. Um so yeah, I mean there's there's what, seven events there? Three of which will be pretty big. You know, Summer Games Fest, Xbox, and Ubisoft usually have some big headline gramming announcements. There's always some interesting stuff at um showcases like David Ebbs and Wholesome Direct. I'm intrigued to get your expectations and perhaps some predictions of what we might see during this. Strange week of game announcements.
2: So, in between all that glitz and glamour, I'm probably going to see two or three games. I'm like, oh, these are nice. These are games that are going to calm me down. Now, outside of that, the, I guess what I like to call the big brouhaha, we're going to see... Okay, before before, before I get to that, obviously, this is just a big marketing blast. <laughs> I don't even know it right there's just so many shows right um and we're going to see games that always bring me back to the question of okay within 365 days will this be releasing question mark i'm not sure because that question is more and more pertinent now nowadays uh but aside from that i think we'll definitely see releases where okay this is going to be the quote-unquote big fall game quote-unquote big Winter game, um, you know, outside of the things that we are already aware of, um, I, I, I definitely think that some studios, um, you know, I'm thinking about Microsoft, they're going to show us things like, hey, these are things to look forward to. But I think we're definitely going to see a lot more. What I, I guess um, I don't, I'm, I'm not even sure if the terminology even works anymore these days. AAA titles, I like to say, in between you know, we're actually going to see gameplay of things that we heard about before. Maybe we might get release schedules, not release dates, release schedules, because you know, um, but honestly, me personally, every time we watch these things and we write them, um, I don't want to say that I get bored. It's not that I get bored, it's just I like to see new things and new faces from new people. Not to mention, we didn't even mention like all these smaller shows that are more focused on, like, you know, Indies like the awesome Indies showcase. I, I think is something I wrote up last year. That's something I look forward to, you know, PC game showcase, but that you know, it's just a
0: barrage of things. I think barrage is the right word. <laughs> barrage is definitely the right <laughs> That's word. That's what I'm looking
1: <laughs> forward to. <laughs> barrage is
0: definitely the right word for what happens in June.
1: It's it's weird because like we we've Sony already showed their hand, right? They they had their um big, big showcase. Nintendo is uh, probably sitting out until August, I, I, I think is when they've been doing their kind of E3 season, summer season uh, Nintendo Direct announcements. Um, and they might not have a whole lot to show this year anyways, because the Switch is running out of uh, gas. So we, we got a lot leaning on, on Microsoft and they've obviously Starfield is their big game. Um, they've also got a lot of games that they announced a while ago, like Everwild and, and Fable, things that we haven't seen in a while and don't know if they're getting any closer to release. And Microsoft really seems like they need to, we, we've been harping on the, you know, the the lack of first party exclusives, uh, especially quality ones from Microsoft for years now. Halo Infinite was a little bit disappointing, Redfall was more disappointing, and it's always been like, oh, well, just wait, you know, the the big the big ones from the Bethesda acquisition are still, they're around the corner, they're around the corner, they're coming, they're coming. It'll be, you know, Microsoft just needs to hold off until then. And uh, Redfall didn't didn't really work out, and now we've got like Starfield is I think huge for for Microsoft now. And then on the third party front, like I'm, I'm really excited to see more of Dragon's Dogma 2. Uh, I I want to see more of, of Tekken Eight. Um, there's I, I don't particularly want to see it, but I am very interested in seeing the new Call of Duty um, because we were there were reports that that they were going to take this year off or that this was just going to be like kind of an expansion uh, for for the last game. And then Activision's like, nope, we're going full premium Call of Duty this year. And I, I, I'm, I'm deeply curious to, to see if this is a, uh, a matter of, you know, like a, a side project that has now being, been bumped up to uh, major frontline duty or, or if it actually is kind of a, uh, you know, a, a fully formed standard AAA Call of Duty release uh on the on the ubisoft front james mentioned skull and bones and i am yeah i'm very curious to see how that one comes together finally maybe uh in in what might be its final e3 appearance uh and then you've got the assassins creed mirage which which looks like it might be a fun return to the original assassins creed which was um a, a a flawed game, I think, but still I found it more interesting than, like, any other Assassin's Creed I've played since then. Like, Assassin's Creed 2 kind of took took the system that they had laid out, uh, the parkour and, and everything, and then, and then just just kind of, like, stapled onto it a whole bunch of standard AAA stuff that I considered cruft or busy work or, you know, the the, the usual structure that's been this is proven and it works and it's like okay that's that's fine that's great but like the original game was doing something different and and i like the idea of a return to that and then we got square enix is who's going to be showing things and uh final fantasy 16 uh, will be a uh, a focus there i'm sure but um i'm 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 deeply curious as to whether or not they're going to try any uh put any blockchain Stuff out there for people to see because Square Enix has been one of the uh, more vocal blockchain supporters in, in recent years, and uh, Ubisoft has been quieter about it since they got stung with the, the Ghost Recon wolf pants um, and, the, and the kind of response to that. But, but Square Enix has been still kind of like, oh, well, you know, maybe this is the year for, for, for blockchain gaming. And uh, yeah, we are we're now almost halfway through the year, and, and haven't really seen their their grand vision for this. So if it's gonna happen, uh, I would I would think that it really kind of has to happen sooner rather than later. So there's still, e- even though I look at it and I'm kind of like saying, well, no Sony, no Nintendo, and that hurts the you know the kind of summer game fest E3 vibe um yeah there's 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 still a lot of stuff going on that that i think is interesting and worth paying attention to
0: i think the fact that sony's already shown its hand and it wasn't i think it got overblown in people's minds myself included i think we expected to see like the the announcements for the next wave of big first party titles because we finally have Almost every yeah, everything but Spider-Man 2 from Sony we now have on PlayStation 5. All the stuff that was announced before the PlayStation 5 mm-hmm. even came out is now available. Um and that wasn't quite what happened. There was a good selection of games on there, but it wasn't like you didn't come away with like five or six massive first party titles to look forward to. Um, you're right; Nintendo are certainly going to be keeping their cards close to their chest for a while because they've only just released Zelda Tears the Kingdom. There was a tiny part of me that wondered if they'd do their usual like, oh, we're going to out, we're going to run a Nintendo Direct and it's going to be in forty eight hours' time. Like they've been announcing the directs really late now. Um, but I think if they were going to get involved in any of this this mess of uh, showcases, they would announce it earlier than this. Um, I think you're right. I think it's going to be like August, September before we see the next one. And even then, it's going to be relatively low key in terms of big first party stuff because they surely must be gearing up for whatever the Switch successor will be. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of reigning in expectations for this one, but I'm I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued to see what we see. I'm particularly keen as you say like to see what we get from xbox if we actually get any more detail on the games have announced like fable and ever and perfect dark if there's any other insight into what the many many studios they've already bought are working on um i'm always i'm, always, I'm half intrigued by what's going to happen at summer game fest because i recognize i'm i'm not specifically the audience for summer game fest summer game fest um that we the, you know the, the last few versions like you know last year's e3 one and last year's gamescom one the sort of titles that are there don't personally appeal to me, but I do see the appeal of them for, you know, that core market. You usually get plenty of titles there that service that, that core audience. Um I really, really am looking forward to the indie ones because there's always something cool. Uh There's always something very kind of different. I mean, yeah, you was know, one of the most talked about games of last E3 was the Plucky Squire, which was that Devolver um or yeah. published one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm looking forward to the next Plucky Squire. I'm looking forward to the next game that we could not possibly predict, but looks amazing. That's what I'm looking forward to. Um, and honestly, like I, I don't have any predictions this year, but like my, my expectation, the thing I'm most looking forward to is, and it sounds cheesy as hell, is covering it. I always love sitting up watching these live, or as many as these I can live, and then sharing thoughts with, with the rest of the team when we're finished, and um, trying to condensed <laughs> trying that damn to condense all the announcements into readable articles um yeah I think it's gonna be I don't it, it's obviously not gonna be like a, a a stellar year in term compared to past June showcases if we to use that umbrella term it's obviously not gonna be a stellar year I mean we're at the end of the Nintendo generation we're at that awkward early point of the PlayStation and Xbox generation where you hope they're gonna be announcing new stuff but equally we're we're not though
1: we're three years into we're three it. years this, in it. yeah it, it's been a pandemic you know that that's that's a thing but like yeah it is it true. is kind of stunning to me how the time time frame for this generation is, is just feels so different from previous generations but so much last changed. time around we were getting our mid-generation refreshes being announced right now yeah
0: that's true that's true, but like okay, but so much has changed, is not it? You've had, like the, you've had the pandemic, but we can't skip over that. The amount of impact that's had on delays and working conditions and supply issues, and then the nature of game development. Like you know, the biggest games take longer to develop, and we've seen so many games come out that have not had the polish they needed, and then ha- and you know have been ripped apart because of it. And so publishers will be a lot more cautious about showing releasing, releasing, let alone showing um, you know, games that aren't quite ready yet like, usually you get games shown in June are out by Christmas, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if a lot of the games shown are like, well, here's stuff that we're working on, but we're not going to give it a concrete date yet in case you all completely rip it apart a la the uh, Halo Infinite reveal from years ago with Craig the, the Space Orc, like um, you know that that led to a delay. I like. Th- I think companies are taking a lot longer on their games now to make sure they get them right because they can't afford to have l- anything less than the highest quality released. And that's always been an extent. always been true to an extent, but I think it's just really become true the last few years.
2: I think something similar happened with uh, just uh, Suicide Squad. I'm, I'm messing up the time. I'm so yeah. sorry. But the recent the Suicide Squad, it had a showing. Yes, thank, thank you so much. For me. There was a showing, but I recall that it did get pushed, and one of the cited reasons was, I believe, response to the uh, the loot based system in the game. That might not be entirely correct. I apologize, but there was a response to like one of the features of the game. It didn't take too well with people, and they gauged those reactions, and that was cited as one of the reasons why they decided to delay it again. So I'm I'm thinking to James' point. That's the reason why I brought that up. I was just like, mm, you know, I was thinking about that as a more recent example. That. But please carry on. Sorry.
0: No, I agree. No, that, that's a prime example. Um, suicide Squad. Fi- suicide Squad killed the Justice League. Insert shorter title here, please. Um, got shown off at a state of play showcase a good few months back and shortly after they announced it, it was delayed for a bit more polish and yeah the, the widely believed reason is that a lot of it the, you know, there was a lot of grumbling from the audience about the fact that it was you know a loop-based shooter as so many things are now and you know that combined with the lackluster reception to the very similar Gotham Knights you know just a few months earlier They've delayed it into like into next year. Like I, we may well see an update, you know, during this next showcase or string of showcases, possibly. But they might just keep it quiet until a bit closer to launch. Um, I think the industry is just becoming so much more cautious, and developers taking longer. The pandemic has had so many different impacts on the industry. I think you you can't come into an E three style week and know what to expect anymore, not in the way that we used to be able to.
1: Do we expect uh, the new Grand Theft Auto to be announced? No, I don't know. I don't. Th- I don't think Grand Theft Auto Five was announced. No, neither Grand Theft Auto Five nor
0: Red Dead Redemption Two were announced at E Three, if I recall. Instead, yeah, they, they don't do- need it. They don't need it. They don't need it. They yeah. do. They yeah. do their. They do their like tons of story trailers, and then they're like half hour or fifteen minute. Here's how <coughs> the gameplay works. You know, trailer that I always wait for. Uh, they don't need it. They just. They just need to put out a teaser. Um, I, I seem to recall. GTA 5, There was like a random teaser, like I think it was like September the year before it came out, and then there was a few trailers and video showcases in between showing off the gameplay features, and then it was then it was out. Like no, I I, I would be shocked shocked if we see Grand Theft Auto. I think the closest you'll get is we'll get a bit more of uh, everywhere at Summer Game Fest. The um, Leslie Benzies new potentially blockchain Roblox but for AAA games or Roblox but for core gamers that title we might see more of that but there will definitely not be Grand Theft Auto 6 at E3 cut to two weeks from now when we're all talking about Grand Theft Auto being shown off at E3 (laughs) or the E3 week Okay. so
2: yes so um, anyone listening please forgive us if we're a little um, slower responding to emails we're busy so please be kind
0: pity us all those late nights. Although now that Sony Sony has gone early, it's not quite as late night as 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 we UK journalists always like to whinge. The Sony A3 conference back in the years past was always at like two in the morning, uh, and oh, so no no ridiculously late nights for me this year. Hopefully. You can always keep up with everything that's going to be announced during this June string of showcases at gamesindustry.biz. And if you want the news delivered straight to your inbox, go to gamesindustry.biz newsletters and sign up to our daily update. That's our, uh, our email newsletter, and we give you a breakdown of everything that's happened that day. Uh, we will be back with the gamesindustry.biz podcast around this. We might even have a few microcasts around this. We are discussing how we're best going to cover this. Uh, and in the meantime, just... Keep an eye on GamesTree.biz for all the latest news from the business and video games. Do you think I said GamesTree.biz enough at the last bit there?
1: I don't know if people know what site we work for. It's, it's good or to whose good. podcast this is. So
0: it's, it's good to make it clear. Clarity, clarity is the name of the game.